0: Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Lauren Evans. And I'm Kristen Iacammer. And joining
1: us today is the always wonderful Sarah Partial-Perry, Senior Legal Fellow here at the Heritage Foundation. Welcome, Sarah. Thanks for having me. You know I love this show. We
0: do. And we're so grateful for you. You are so busy and you are so smart and you are always doing so many important things. So that you make time for Problematic Women all the time really means a lot. It's my favorite thing to do. Well, we are recording this today on March 8th, 2023, which is, you guys obviously know, International Women's Day.
1: International Women's Day.
0: So how about those women, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Happy International Women's Day to two of my favorite women Mm -hmm. and to all the women out there, but not the XY chromosomes. (laughs) They don't count.
0: Yes. To people born with uteruses.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) People who... Come with the original factory installations. <laughs> to you, we say, happy International Women's Day.
2: Yeah. Well, there we go. <laughs> that was a lot of a lot of words I didn't expect to hear in my microphone today. <laughs> Uterus! <laughs> <laughs> so International Women's
0: Day, kind of a made-up holiday, but I think still good to take a minute and reflect on women in our life who, who mean a lot to us. So who are some women that you look up to or that you just want to celebrate today?
1: I'll tell you what, I look up to Phyllis Schlafly Mm. or the memory of Phyllis Schlafly and um, what we've seen continue through Eagle Forum. This is somebody who fought against... By what were contemporary standards sounded like a great idea. The Equal mm. Rights Amendment, right? She saw the writing on the wall. Everything from abortion to gender identity. She took an army of bread-baking housewives and marched to Congress. Everybody thinks of her as sort of this firebrand who's a conservative. She was also a national security expert and a lawyer with an Ivy League degree. That was an impressive woman. Mm.
2: Yeah, no, definitely. I would have to say my mom. Uh, <laughs> because if I don't, she will kill. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, I, I think seriously, um, just taking a look at, at the landscape that we have here of conservative women, all all women in our movement are really standing up to, you know, the left agenda. I'm going to celebrate myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm just kidding. I love your idea of just taking a moment to celebrate problematic women and and who we do this show for. You know, there's so many women out there who really feel alone, whether that's at your high school, on your college campus, when you just start out your career or, you know, all the way up through your career. It's hard when every day the mainstream media just tells you like you have to be put in this box, right? This box means you have to wear this pink hat, you have to love planned parenthood and that's not true. And that's what we do every day here at Problematic Women is Is just celebrate these women who are different. And Sarah, I'm so glad you brought up Phyllis Schlafly because she embodies that, right? The left wants to say she was just a housewife. You watch, you know, the show Mrs. America. She seems like this one-dimensional character, but she was so much more than that. And that's what we are as Problematic Women. We we not only embrace our femininity, we embrace our career, We embrace our families. We embrace the culture that we've been given as Americans and, and just want to make things better around us.
1: Yeah, I would agree with that. I think women are largely relational, right? We're mm. defined a lot by our relationships. We're mothers. We're sisters. We're daughters. We're wives. Mm. But men have a tendency to be defined as more vocational. Mm. This is actually an organization. That's why I love the Heritage Foundation, where you get to have both, right? You mm. get to be that mother who is also a work. Mm. who is also a senior legal fellow, which is what I am. And <laughs> I go out and I fight for this next generation of kids, for mm. my children's mm. children and mm. what they're going to be left with. I mean, those are enduring principles.
2: Yeah, I think um, just to hit back at what you were saying, Lauren, it really is, you know, a, a time where we can have both. Mm. Um, Sarah is a testament of that. She's killing it as a mom and killing it as a senior legal fellow. <laughs> um, but I think uh, today and honestly forever is the time to celebrate women that are really embracing I can do both. I can be a woman and embrace everything there is about femininity while also knowing what common sense looks like and knowing that just because the media and the left are, are marching to those orders that, that we don't have to. But Lauren, why don't you uh, tell us what we have coming up on the show? Up today's problematic women, a new lawsuit challenges the
0: FDA's approval of chemical abortion pills. We break down this new argument. Then gender identity is something the left is calling fluid, but a recent report from Britain says otherwise. We tell you what you need to know. And finally, the Wuhan lab leak theory may have been right. May. Probably. Will the left trust the science this time? Probably not. <laughs> and as always, we'll be crowning our problematic woman of the week.
2: Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women, those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left.
0: If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference.
2: All right, let's get to it. Abortion rights advocates in the Biden administration have sounded the alarm about the fate of a Texas lawsuit that argues the FDA never had the authority to approve the chemical abortion pill. In this first of its kind case, the plaintiffs argue that the FDA's accelerated approval process of the abortion drug ignored its own mission to protect public safety. Last year, our friends at the Alliance Defending Freedom filed the lawsuit on behalf of a medical association and doctors experienced in treating pregnant and post-abortive women saying that the agency chose politics over science. Sarah, can you tell us a little bit more about this lawsuit and the significance behind
1: ADF's arguments? So this is the first-of-its-kind lawsuit, and it's it's brought now for a couple of different reasons, not the least of which is, remember, Roe versus Wade lifted the blockade. So states are now able to restrict abortion in ways they hadn't been able to restrict it before and were able to restrict it at the federal level that we haven't been able to restrict it before. So I think a lot of people who were in the medical profession started to look at the methods that have been used, the thinking that have been used, the science that have been used. And this particular drug was approved back in 2000 at the request of President then Clinton. And it was rushed through the approval process. In fact, they had to, in order to get such a speedy approval, classify pregnancy as a serious or life-threatening illness and had to treat the abortion pill as the only therapeutic benefit to treat that life-threatening threatening illness. Now, that doesn't pass the straight face test. I can't even say that without wanting to laugh. Having been pregnant quite a number of times, I can tell you, yes, it is definitely its own level of commitment, but never life threatening. Obviously, there are certain medical emergencies, but to approve something that the science did not support. In fact, there was a citizen petition that sat on their desk for 14 years in which an alliance of doctors and scientists said this is not a safe medication. There are complications with hemorrhaging, ectopic pregnancies, and complete miscarriages or abortions. They did not do the research they were required to do. And ultimately, in the end, this is something that the Alliance for Hip Hippocratic Medicine says is going to harm individual mm. women who take mm. this pill.
0: And it's not surprising because ever since the left kind of even saw the overturn of Roe versus Wade coming, right? And you could say that that wasn't last year. That's probably been five, six, ten years, right? They've been really pushing people in this direction. And they tell women, here are two pills. Go home. Take them. You'll experience mild cramping. And, yeah. and, and that has always... Been a lie, and right. and women go home and they have these really terrible bleeding. They're on the floor. They're they're dealing with the emotional aspect of going through an abortion. And instead of doing that in a doctor's office, which is already terrible, they're doing that alone. And, and the the thoughts are just festering in their head. So we we already knew that that part was bad, and the left was trying to hide it. And so thank God for organizations like Alliance Defending Freedom and all these associations standing up and saying, it's not even that that's bad. It's the the drug itself is being misused. And it's really scary that the
1: FDA is covering it up and and pushing this on women. Well, to put this in perspective, all American abortions, about 50% of them are actually performed by chemical abortion. Mm -hmm. But chemical abortions are six times likelier than surgical abortions to result in complications. Mm. So we're seeing these horror stories about women hemorrhaging to death or ending up with sepsis or ectopic pregnancies because they're not overseen in physicians' offices. Mm. Thank you COVID. The Biden administration loosened restrictions with the FDA and now women didn't even have to go for a follow-up visit. Mm. They were strictly allowed to take these in the privacy of their own homes and then would end up in emergency rooms later
2: I think what's scary too is Planned Parenthood I went and checked out their website with this drug in particular and they said it's very normal to see large blood clots that are even the size of lemons and even tissue uh, you know come out as a result of taking these drugs and to be honest I would not know the difference between, you know, all of that. And I would not know the difference between hemorrhaging and having a normal experience if I were to take one of those. I can't imagine what these women go through, not only, you know, physically, but also mentally because. There's so much that you don't know and that they don't really prepare you with, but that they say it's okay that this is happening.
1: And we're going to get an opinion on this any day now. We are waiting for this from a federal judge down in the Northern District of Texas. If the Biden administration wants to appeal, it has to go to the Fifth Circuit. Mm -hmm. That judge has been affirmed 90 percent of the time on appeal. And that means the only thing left is for the FDA and the Biden administration to go to the Supreme Court. So we'll see what happens. So. How long will it take to go to the Supreme Court? Will it be next term? No, it's very likely that if this is appealed, this term we'll see it on what's called the rocket docket, which means it goes <laughs> I lo- up. I love that really term. Like that. Right, <laughs> so it goes up. It goes up very quickly on some kind of an emergency appeal, showing that there is a significant interest that requires immediate intervention. So we'll see how long it takes on appeal.
0: And what will happen in the mi- between if they say that this drug is is not classified correctly?
1: Will that be an immediate stoppage until the Supreme Court hears it? Well, they'll probably stop producing these in the short term. Oh. If the the declaratory and adjunctive relief has been confirmed through Judge Kaczmarek in Texas, what he'll do is he will temporarily suspend the approval of these drugs, which means that they can no longer be shipped across state lines and mm. there's another law that actually prohibits that anyway, but they can't be sold through pharmacies. They can't be dispensed through doctor's offices. So it'll definitely stop the clock, which is going to affect a lot of future decisions on the part of women.
0: Wow. That's, this is huge. Yeah. This is huge. Really big. Um, la- This season of Grey's Anatomy, the end of last year, they had an episode, and I still can't believe that they showed this on TV, where a high schooler comes to them and says, my parents won't approve of my abortion. And they give her these pills oh, without gosh. her parents' consent right. on TV, and it's just normal. So this is huge for life. Yeah, that, that
1: we're we're stopping. What what is that mainstream? Well, and that's one of the actual claims that they make in the lawsuit is that particularly minor teenage girls we know are getting access to these mm-hmm. pills, and they didn't perform the necessary data, according to federal law, yeah. for minor girls, a mm-hmm. specific set of research.
2: Yeah, I think it's important, too, to, to look back and see how we got there. Like you said earlier, back in 2000, they used the accelerated pathway for approval process, which... Um, I remember from Dallas Buyers Club, they they use that a lot mm-hmm. for HIV. But in this case, um, what I found really interesting is in order to – approve something as rapidly as as this type of medication, you're going based off of lab results, not real life results, meaning you're in controlled environments. Yeah. There's a lot of things that, you know, you're controlling for and you're making sure that, that variations don't differ in temperature and, and environment and all of that. But at that time, they hadn't been putting the research or the time into it. And it's just even now in the last few years, they're finally really digging into the post approval accuracy of their evaluation and, yeah. and working off of that. That.
1: Yeah, this will be a significant lawsuit.
2: Well, Sarah, well thank you so much for breaking that down.
0: Sometimes the law jargon that you can pull out of your brain. So yeah. <laughs> I'm sometimes thinking, like she could just throw any word in there and I'd believe her. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> so oh, oh that my children were that way. Uh,
0: <laughs> But it's just a really important case to watch, one that you're not hearing anything from the mainstream media. Right. So um, really glad that you can break it down for our problematic women listeners and definitely recommend that, that you follow Sarah both on Twitter and on Heritage.org, reading what she writes, because it's just really important to get the facts and, and know what's happening and how we can really protect life in America. So we're going to take a quick break, but before we do, I want to tell you about my favorite podcast, and that is the Kevin Roberts Podcast. Dr. Kevin Roberts is the president here at the Heritage Foundation, and every week he sits down with a guest to discuss culture, politics really anything between it is so interesting and it is so fun and i recommend you go right now apple podcast google play wherever you get your podcast look up the kevin Roberts show this week's episode he interviews michael pillsbury on the third of china definitely some really scary stuff but something you won't want to miss
2: D Trans Awareness Day is this Sunday, and it reminds us of just how politicized the issue of gender identity has become. And as states across the country begin to pass laws and medical guidelines that protect children from the potentially irreversible outcomes of transitioning, Europe is reevaluating gender ideology entirely. In a new report from the British Medical Journal, researchers describe transgender identity as a social contagion that is consuming an increasing number of American youth, citing that those identifying as transgender are more likely to have concurrent mental health conditions compared to those that are cisgender. The report goes on to say that guidelines for treating children that are gender dysphoric are not a settled science and that so many so-called medical recommendations lacked the data to support their effectiveness." Gender identity continues to remain a prominent issue in America as many parents remain concerned about schools, roles, and their children's gender identities and its impacts on women's sports.
0: Sounds like domestic terrorists to me. Ooh, yeah. Yeah.
2: (laughs) (laughs) But um, kind of insane findings out of Europe, you know, and and very contradictory to what we're seeing in America. What do you guys uh, think of this study?
1: Well, i got to tell you, it's encouraging to me, but oh, that America would go the way of Europe. Who would say that Europe was exercising and expressing more common sense than America in this regard. But Sweden, Finland, England have all taken now a watchful, waiting approach. The Tavistock Clinic obviously oversees the single-gender Confirmation Clinic in all of England was the subject of a rash of lawsuits. It shut down. I think that forced everyone in Europe to take a hard look at what the science was and why doctors were pushing so fast to get these kids sort of affirmed air quotes, in their gender identity. The uh, British medical Journal also identified the fact that with a full 2% of American high school kids identifying as transgender, Mm. no one was discussing what are called comorbid conditions. Mm. Autism, Mm. depression, anxiety, ADHD, and precipitously among teenage girls. That 12 to 18, the rates skyrocketed. That's because girls teenage girls are subject to peer pressure it takes Mm. one exposure on social media one teacher dropping a few words or one friend to go through a double mastectomy and the next thing you know the entire high school is infected i've seen it happen my daughter is in a public school this is not being made up we should take the exact same approach that europe's taken
0: and it's not a new phenomenon i mean you look over the past 50 years bulimia was a huge social contagion with right, young girls right um cutting was a huge social contagion with young girls now this it's it's these young girls want a way to get attention and they don't know how to do it and they just see this and they see their their classmates like getting that special attention from the teacher or getting to leave early to go to doctor's appointments and they're like oh maybe I'm special too and I think it's almost scary a that Europe is ahead of us on anything but B that that it' It took a study to see this. I think, Sarah, you you nailed it. You see it as a mom every day. And I, I've heard other moms say the exact same thing of, like, I seek the girl after girl in, in my son's school or my daughter's school. And there, it's one after the other. And these girls aren't trans. These girls are just wanting to fit in. And it's scary that in 2023, this is how they think they need to fit in.
1: Well, what we're using are drugs like Lupron, which are cross-sex hormones, and they're actually used to chemically castrate prisoners mm. for for people who are convicted of rape. They use these for men to absolutely turn off the sexual development or the sexual function. We have not studied the effect of Lupron in prepubescent or pubescent populations of adolescent girls. It's unconscionable, and it's nothing short of child abuse.
2: Yeah, and I think what's interesting is in this report specifically, too, is it – It starts with the affirmation. Right. And the we're if they say this, we're going to validate that their feelings are that way, which I think largely to your point, Lauren, is why we're seeing this huge whoring of younger women, especially uh, into this movement. And it is scary because that it does lead to what you were talking about, Sarah, this permanent change in their bodies. And yeah. and there is absolutely no baseline for this. It's kind of like what we were talking about earlier with we're we're kind of seeing what happens as it goes. We're building the plane as we fly it, which yeah. is never never the safest way to do it.
1: That's exactly it.
2: Can you imagine if you made life altering decisions at seventeen or eighteen what you would be living
0: with
1: right now? I, no. I mean listen. I made all the right decisions (laughs) at 16 or 17, but I don't know about anybody else. I, You know, I can't, my son, who is 13, almost 14, can't get a Tylenol without the nurse calling me (laughs) and asking me for permission. My daughter had to have me present to get her ears pierced at 16. These are common sense decisions Mm -hmm. because they have a tendency to change internal chemical composition, to be biological agents to alter physical appearance. And that's why, among other things, I am so incensed about this trend toward social transitioning Mm. that we're seeing from teachers and school administrators cutting parents out of the picture.
0: Well and I think the problem is a larger issue with these professional societies of of teachers and it, it's not the individual teachers a lot of times, most of the time, that is the issue here, but they're they're telling teachers that you know better than the parents of your students do. So yeah. you can do all this behind your back. And you're right, Sarah, there all these important protections that we have on children. I mean, that's such a great point about getting your ears pierced. Yeah. What a mm. what a minor thing, you know, like right. they they can always close up. Right. You know? Yeah. But they know that that's important enough to have a parent there for that. But a teacher thinks that if a kid says, oh, I feel uncomfortable in my body, boom,
1: you're a boy, you're a girl. That's why I'm glad that we're actually starting to see some lawsuits where these parents are stepping up. Listen, they're facing the onslaught of public criticism because the trans wave is very big Mm -hmm. and it is federally funded and it's being pushed through the highest levels of government and entertainment. I am so glad that there are these parents who are willing to stand up and face this juggernaut head on in addition to facing the schools and administrators who are working this behind the scenes. In fact, one New York teacher. actually being sued personally for manipulating a fifth grade girl. We're talking nine years old into telling her that she was actually a boy, using a boy's name, using boy pronouns, not knowing there were underlying mental health conditions and the young girl committed suicide. So these are the kinds of things where if we don't stand up and Mm. we draw a hard line now, we're going to lose an entire generation of young people.
2: It's scary. It seems like schools uh teachers the government they're just hijacking children from their parents and and it's really really terrible but it's also very it gives me hope that parents are finally starting to say enough is enough if you're going to have us you know give you permission for getting our, our kids ears pierced then yeah we're going to not allow you to brainwash our children and make them feel like it's normal to you know think of themselves in a way that
1: they're not right right that's exactly it and there's um, there are a couple of different lawsuits that are pending some of them have sued these teachers individually some of them has have sued the school district a lot of these school districts have unwritten policies they don't want to communicate this in writing because of mm-hmm. course in writing can always be introduced mm-hmm. as an exhibit in a lawsuit <laughs> they will communicate with each other offline tell each other listen if these parents are not going to be supportive and quite frankly most parents all parents should not be supportive of a child who could have an underlying mental health condition being told that they are a different sex or can have a different name. If the parents aren't supportive, we want to make sure that these kids are in a safe, affirming environment. If my child was suicidal, you wouldn't hand him the knife to slit his wrists. This mm-hmm. is no different as mm-hmm. far as I'm concerned.
0: And they keep saying that, that argument over and over again, you know, a, a dead son is worse than an alive daughter or whatever you know the argument is but they they have never done a study to show and prove this this is what what's going to happen they just use this example of like look your your son or daughter is sad and if you don't transition them they're going to be more sad but then time after time we find that the opposite it's actually, true.
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely, it is. And in fact, the data that we do have indicates that individuals who've gone through early transitional interventions are actually at a higher risk of suicide than those who haven't. And 90% of the kids who express discomfort with their gender, mm-hmm. right? So anything that looks or sounds like gender dysphoria eventually make peace. Once they're through Mm -hmm. puberty and into their 18, 19, 20 year old years. And I think what's most ironic about this whole situation, something in
2: light of the D trans awareness day, is that a lot of these people that are starting to realize that and want to reverse what they've done or, you know, go back on what they said originally about feeling like they're a man versus a woman. um, They're not being supported by those same doctors that were so willing to cut off, you know, body parts and and go to the extreme for them to make them into a trans person.
1: You know, I've heard people say that um, money talks. Well, in the trans juggernaut situation, money screams. Mm-hmm. And I think what we're seeing is this connection between the medical profession, insurance companies, big pharma, the government and Hollywood Not to sound like a conspiratorialist, but to sound like a conspiratorialist, (laughs) the money changing hands Mm. to present a particular image and to then get the federal government to say the science is settled on gender identity. When, in fact, we've just seen a major European Mm. study say, no, actually, it's very much not settled Mm -hmm. is to me something that we have to continue to push against. Mm.
0: Yeah. And, sir, I think you're 100% right. It, you really you follow the money, but I, I think there's a third group of this that we're not calling out it strongly enough. And this is this group of woke Hollywood-type elites yeah. who have no religion. So they see all these doctors and professional organizations, and they're preaching, all we want to be is tolerant and make everybody happy. And so this is their religion. They want to see people feel good this second and they mm. glom onto this and that's too where a lot of this ad hominem comes together and then this this group of people who are in it for the money like like you said we're exactly right it, empower this and it creates the cycle where it pulls in people who sometimes have good intentions to believe that this is they're doing the right thing and all you have to do is is just stop and like look at the whole picture and you see exactly what you're saying if the that we're harming our children and it doesn't matter what they feel like this second.
1: You know, it's interesting. We talk a lot about cultural Marxism here mm-hmm. at Heritage, and for for people who don't know sort of how to summarize that down into a nutshell, it's basically the destruction of all natural order. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the institutions. I'm talking about the identity of self. I'm talking about the nuclear family. All of the things that have been created that keep society, Western society functioning optimally, that have made America su- a superpower, that make families, the primary order of society, all of those are right in the target with this cultural Marxism. Mm. And where they've gotten now is we can destroy the self. And if we destroy the self, we destroy everything else.
0: That's just like the perfect way to put it. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, speaking of other ways that the government is gaslighting us. (laughs) That's a pretty good turn, right, guys? That was that was I, actually <laughs> su-
1: superior. Yeah.
0: New classified intelligence led by the Energy Department now concludes with low confidence, but some confidence, that COVID-19 was actually caused by a lab leak in China. While there's no complete government consensus, the change in judgment came as top health officials prepared to testify to the federal response to COVID-19. The Energy Department joins the Federal Bureau of Investigation in saying that the virus likely spread via a mishap in a Chinese laboratory. Four other agencies still judge that COVID-19 likely resulted from a natural transmission and to our undecided. So, I mean, I'm obviously your jaws are on the floor. Uh-huh. You're, you're both flabbergasted that the government would uh, try to gaslight us,
1: right? Wow. Shocking. (laughs) You remember all of that? Everybody's got to slow the spread. Everybody get your masks on. Everybody needs the vaccine. Listen. COVID was very real. Mm. It was very affecting for a lot of American families. I don't know anybody who wasn't specifically and personally affected by it. But here's what we do know. We got a lot of misinformation from Mm -hmm. the government. And we know now the government was working with social media to throttle back Mm. all legitimate questioning of their line, their talking points on the COVID leak. Now we're discovering Shock and awe. It wasn't a wet market and bat soup Mm -hmm. in Wuhan. It was the Institute for Virology, which is what many of us were saying all along.
2: And I think, regardless of the confidence level of the Department of Energy, you know, what makes it significant that this is coming from them? Well, first of all, classified information so we don't know exactly what that says but the FBI their level of confidence was moderately confident and they've right. got access to a lot of classified information so i can only imagine if all eight agencies had that level of info what they would be saying. Um, Most of them are, you know, thinking that it's the natural bat soup situation. I'm not buying it. Um, But I think what's significant about the Department of Energy specifically is they have labs all over the world and they're collaborating in China, they're collaborating in Europe, they're collaborating in South America. So there's a lot of conversations that they're having behind closed doors and a lot of kind of understanding of the situation at hand that, you know, you gotta think, They have the access to the classified information. They have access to the on the ground communications and understanding and background. There's got to be some truth to the some level of confidence that it wasn't from the wet market.
1: So I'll be interested to see um, what happens, what comes of the uh, House hearing on the COVID pandemic today, because they've called Dr. Robert Redfield, who is the previous administration's director for the CDC, and they've also called Paul uh, Alwater, who is a professor of medicine at Johns Hopkins. Both of them, I'm going to be very curious as to what they say. The fact that these agencies are split on their talking points now that I find interesting In and of itself. Yes, there are varying degrees of sort of level of completeness on the knowledge that they each have. But I'm going to tell you the Department of Energy has access to information that, to me, makes me sit up and take notice. That is an agency very concerned with the operation, for example, of communist superpowers like China. They've been watching this from the start. I will be very interested to see what these doctors say today. It'll be interesting.
0: But I I think the biggest part, and and Sarah, you you nailed this from the beginning of your answer, of if we upload this conversation to YouTube right now, we could get our account banned. Mm. That big tech wouldn't even allow us to talk about this as an option, right? And even if you said... At the beginning of the pandemic, you were talking about it coming from Wuhan. It was like, no, you're racist to say it came from China. Right. For every right. step of the way, the government has tried to suppress speech on everything surrounding COVID that we had to shut down our entire lives for, yeah. for two years. Our children will never recover from the education losses that they've had over these two years. And every step of the way, they're like, you can't say that. You can't say that. And slowly they're coming out and like, oh, well, maybe we we're wrong about this. Oh, and maybe we were wrong about this. And it just shows the the power that the government has over us is so frightening. And I mm-hmm. think our founding fathers would be spinning in their grave to know that they're able to censor us in this way and they're able to shut down our lives in this way. Yeah. And I think as we're getting out of this COVID era, I mean, think about just over a year ago here in D.C., we weren't allowed to go into restaurants or bars mm-hmm. without showing our vax papers. Yeah. That's how close we are and that we have to, as Americans, come together and say never again will we allow our society to be shut down in this way.
1: Lauren, that's a great point. You were talking about the founding fathers sort of rolling over in their graves. How quickly we were willing to give up personal freedoms. The freedom of movement, the freedom to be vaccinated or not vaccinated, the freedom to wear a mask or not wear a mask. And regardless of whether or not you were immunocompromised, you had underlying health conditions, it did not matter. The singular party line was everybody's vaxxed, everybody's masked, everybody Stays home, not taking into consideration that again, we're the agents of our own health decisions, Mm -hmm. but a lot of us were willing to hand that over to the government and say, Well, I guess if the White House says it, it must be right. Never again. I think if there's any note we can take from this, it's that it's okay. to question authority—that's mm. what the government ultimately functions best on. That principle of distrusting centralized power is one of the founding principles and responsible for documents like our Constitution. Mm.
2: Yeah. No, I think <laughs> yeah, there's just a lot going on in my head. I the everyone gets masked, everyone gets va- like that's just a propaganda you know poster in my head right yeah. now. But I think what's also terrifying and what they're kind of uncovering in this hearing right now, or at least what I've seen.
0: And also, we're recording on Wednesday. This will release on Thursday. So the hearing right now actually happened the day before, just for everybody who's listening. Yes. You can go back, watch it. I know Heritage is is definitely clipping it. to so look on our social media yeah, platforms.
2: But basically, one of the things that they've uncovered so far is that Dr. Anthony Fauci was kind of keeping the CDC director, Robert Redfield, out of the loop for a lot of this. There were emails that weren't sent to him. So having a healthy distrust in the government is just that healthy, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I think one of the biggest impacts and the most severe impacts from this, this pandemic was the The impacts it had on our our professionals and our quote unquote experts. We have nurses. I have a friend that's an ICU nurse who is terrified of COVID because of the mass intake and the mass suffering that she experienced. She has a very different view on the pandemic than I do, but she has that because of her experience. And she was put in that experience due to the poor leadership of our CDC Mm. and government as a whole. Yeah. Um, I mean, people literally lost loved ones without being able to say goodbye, without being able to hug them, without being able to do any normal thing. We were basically brainwashed into not grieving for our loved ones during that time. I think the
0: most ironic thing out of all of this is that uh, Mayor Eric Adams of New York City yesterday, Mayor Eric Adams of New York City earlier this week came out and said, that, no, people should not wear masks inside of businesses because of crime. <laughs> people are using it to get it,
1: so they're not recognized. I mean, you, you hate to laugh, but this is where, you know, I, I talk about, and I, I cribbed this from um, a different scholar, but this is kind of like that regressive liberalism. It's like, when you can't toe the party line, and you produce more and more and more and more and more conditions and more victims and more criteria, ultimately you're going to get to the point where you're you're eating your own tail on this, right? Yeah. And that's, I think, Where we are right now (laughs) with the uh, masking situation. All right.
0: Well, we're going to take one more quick break, but we'll be right back.
3: Five days a week, two episode formats, one mission to deliver the news you care about and analysis on the biggest issues facing America. The Daily Signal Podcast brings you two episodes every day in the same podcast feed. Each morning, catch interviews with policymakers, leading experts, and conservative activists as we discuss some of the greatest challenges facing our country and offer solutions for a brighter future. And every weekday at 5 p.m., we bring you the top news of the day. These are the headlines you care about. Subscribe to the Daily Signal Podcast wherever you get your podcasts you never miss out on our morning interviews or evening news.
0: Now it is that time once again, my favorite time of the week, and time to crown our Problematic Woman of the Week. And the crown goes to... Ilish Schlafly. This is the first time I think uh, we've ever scooped the Problematic Woman of the Week at the beginning of the show, but <laughs> I'm glad you did because unintentionally. Yeah, and yeah. we
1: again, we didn't know that was going to happen. Yeah. So, uh,
0: but uh, Phil schlafly there's been so much talk about the ERA lately. The Democrats are trying to really re- revive it. Yeah. The ERA even though it's long dead and it a it's scary that we're having this conversation again. It feels like every couple of years. Uh, I'm sure problematic women listeners from like the OG years remember a couple years ago we did a Very similar show where we talked about Phil Schlafly, but it's just like again and again and again. They try to bring it up and I'm like, no, it's dead.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly it. And and the the left, I think, will really stop at nothing to try to get this passed. We have all the rights guaranteed to men in the Constitution. There is no need for a separate constitutional amendment ostensibly to guarantee us those equal rights And what it is, like so much of what we're seeing coming out of Washington right now, is a Trojan horse for left-wing ideology, specifically on sexual orientation, gender identity, and, quote, reproductive justice. And again, Phyllis Schlafly called this. She called this back in the 70s Mm. as she was able to defeat the ERA. And in fact, as part of that whole feminist package, ironically, we got Title IX, which Mm. we all benefited from because of the fact that we were able to go to school in programs that were only previously relegated to men she did great work defeating the era we have to just make sure it doesn't come back
2: yeah for sure and i think something that's really amazing about her too is that she was doing all of this while also a mom and five
1: just, kids i believe just so going,
2: yeah. yeah only five no, no deal. <laughs> but just going back to uh you know women's month Yeah, For all those moms out there, especially my mom, Lauren's mom, Sarah's mom, like the reason we're here is because you raised us with the family values and instilled in us a a belief that we didn't need to play the victim and that we didn't need to lean into the lies that the media told us in order to be strong, independent women. We don't need to be, quote unquote, feminist to be standing up for our sex. And we can change the world in whatever way we can. So thanks, moms.
1: Eye camera. Bring it at home. Wow.
0: I feel like we got a good new nickname. I can I Kimber. Oh, wow. Wow. That's be my presidential done. campaign. Boom, <laughs> boom. All right, I'll, 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 we'll figure out the royalties deal later. <laughs> Sounds good. <laughs> well, with that, thank you, Sarah, for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Uh, Virginia is on the border right now doing some really great reporting. So make sure you go to Daily Signal. Check her out. She'll be back next week. But with that, it's gonna be it for this week's
2: edition of Problematic Women. Join us next Thursday morning for a brand new edition. And in the meantime, please subscribe and share. Conservatives need your support in the podcast world. And we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on
0: Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you do get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. Have a great week. Great week. <laughs> Have a great
1: week. Oppa. <laughs>
0: Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation.
3: It is a product of the Daily Signal produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram.
0: We produce problematic women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.